up, Metal Maniacs? You got Tom. And you've got George. And you've, you've got, got another, another podcast coming. coming. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, George. So, let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to be drinking today. So, I got out of the gym tonight, and I literally went down to my local, what do you call those things? Liquor stores. I picked out two beers that I thought were interesting, and one of them was what we're drinking right now, which is Whole Hog Pumpkin Ale. Like, chow down on my whole hog. Baby. Oh, dude. So, cheers. Well, I'll chow down on this whole beer, my friend. Yeah, boy. Mmm. Oh. Oh, damn, dude. What's this called again? This is called Whole Hog Pumpkin Ale. This just kind of stood out to me when I was there. And since I'm a you know big fan of pumpkin, I figured, dude, hell yeah, let's give it a shot. This has a ton of pumpkin flavor, and it feels like it's very spicy. I think you said before, like it's a, it feels like a spiced ale. Yeah, listen, there's pumpkin ale, and you taste the pumpkin, but this one, you taste the spice. Mm-hmm. It has the cinnamon, it has the nutmeg, it has all those flavor notes that you want a pumpkin beer to hit. And that spice, it sticks on your tongue, Mm. and you notice it right away. Yeah, man, this is just in the classic American tradition of brewing pumpkin beer. I think this is definitely one excellent highlight in that tradition. Plus, it has 7% alcohol rating, so, you know. Not driving beer. (laughs) Definitely not, my friend. But definitely a good chilling and talking with your boy about Judas Priest beer. And, man, almost any beer is good for that, Mm -hmm. but... I'll say the more alcohol percentage, the better. better. (laughs) Speaking of better, George, how much more better? God, that sounded terrible. How much better does it get than the song we're talking about today? Man, I'm excited for this one. Last week, we had a huge discussion on You Got Another Thing Coming. That was a great episode. And that was your first Judas Priest song. So I think now it's only fair that we get to share my first And this isn't the most popular Judas Priest tune by any stretch, but it's positively great. And true to the song's title, they really delivered the goods on this one. really have too many thoughts about this song, but I listened to it a few times over the last week. In truest rock and roll metal band fashion, this is a song about how much ass you kick live. Yes, <laughs> it is. And follows in that grand tradition of songs like Whiplash by Metallica mm. and Motorhead by Motorhead, Iron Maiden by Iron Maiden, mm. even though some of those songs came out later. It's the point is that it's sort of a tradition to have a song if you're a rock or metal band about how much ass you kick when you play live and you just blow the lid off the friggin' venue. And that's what I think the song touches on lyrically. Best 100 side of proof. Megatown, 
feeling like we're ready to kick tonight. We're ready to hit the roof. You better watch out and hold on tight. We're heading your way like dynamite. Ugh, delivering the goods. Yeah. In just that classic Rob Halford fashion of enunciating a word and just like, ugh. He just puts the exact right mm. spin on the words to emphasize it and mm. give it that extra bit of memorability. Yeah, he puts the embossus on the right syllable. I, <laughs> I don't know how, but he figured it out. He does it, man. So yeah, those lines I quoted and other stuff like, Rockin' Boys, Crack That Whip Strap Mean. Like, if you read into it, you can kind of tell that they're doing that whole big rock bravado bragging about how great their live shows are Yeah, because Rob actually used to bring a whip on stage as a prop back in the day and whip it at the crowd. Why he ever abandoned that practice, I'll never understand. There had to be some sort of law that forbade uh, him from doing it. You know, or, someone, also, or someone lost an eye. Could be. They also <laughs> used to bring a gun loaded with blanks and fire it into the crowd. <laughs> That one, I definitely understand why they can't do it anymore. Oh, man. (laughs) I swear to God, millennials, man, ruining all of our guns. You can't even bring a loaded gun to a show anymore. Right? Fuck. Yeah, well, hey, I don't know if you should blame that on millennials or the fucking psychopaths who are doing mass shootings everywhere. Don't get me wrong. You, You should not bring a loaded gun to a show. Even if you are firing only blanks. You're liable to like at least kill someone via heart attack. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you just a quick sidebar. Uh, it's not directly related, but it's hilarious. Uh, my wife and I go to a ton of baseball games. We went to one, and there was a sign right in front of the gate with a big, uh, you know, picture of a gun with a circle and a line through it. So it was a no gun sign. It said, "Please do not bring weapons in the stadium." And we just stood there, we laughed at it, said, do they really need that sign? And the security guard overheard us and say, yes, we (laughs) we need the sign. (laughs) You would be shocked. You would not come back to a game ever if I told you why we need the sign. (laughs) Wow, that security guard coming in clutch like, dude, you have no idea how much you need that sign. And I always love, you know, going through the airport and you see all the things you're not allowed to bring on a plane, like... It'll be like a bomb, but like a picture of like a bundle of dynamite or like one of those like old bombs with a fuse at the end or some shit. And I'm like, fuck, man, I can't bring my comedically oversized bomb on the plane. Fuck. Completely apropos of that entire divergent um, conversation. We've got a song to talk about, and it's a kick-ass song about delivering the goods. As you may or may not know. How did this become the first song you heard? Yeah, so listen, man, I know this isn't like a super popular song like You've Got Another Thing Come In or Living After Midnight or Breaking the Wall, which are a lot of people's first songs. Like I said, I took my own path to becoming a fan. I got that big box of CDs that my father used to own, and I just kind of picked up Hellbent for Weather because I thought the cover art was real. And for those non-USA fans listening, I know the album is Killing Machine everywhere but the USA, but... This is where we live, so this is how we know it. Hellbent for Weather, 
I picked up the CD, I popped it in my CD player, I pressed play, Delivering the Goods is the first song on the album, and that's really as simple as the story gets. I, I'm sorry, it's not a more exciting story, but <laughs> it, that, is, that is why it's my first Priest song. Sometimes it doesn't have to be an exciting story. Sometimes it's just like the story, that, you know? Yeah, it's just like, hey, that's how it happened, man. Yeah, it, it just happened to be the first one that you heard. Sure, and this was like the year 2003 or four. God, we're old as <laughs> yeah, not as old as a lot of Priest fans, but yeah, fair enough. It, when we grew up, Judas Priest wasn't on the radio. They were like oldies. You would hear like uh, one of their mainstream hits on the classic rock station at best. And then you'd hear, um, you know, ACDC 50 times after that. Yeah. And then, you know, you'd hear Priest a few years later on the same station. Right. It's like at one point, every classic rock station in the entire world decided, okay, these same 20 songs forever <laughs> <laughs> that aside you know judas priest wasn't on the radio but it's also long before spotify so i didn't know what the top songs were i just listened to the cd in order and it almost sounds crazy that i was totally ignorant of which songs were hits but that's just how it was you know maybe you're better for that honestly because you have no pretext going into the band no one telling you okay well you know you want to hear you want to hear the classics first and it's like no i'm just going into this completely blind and you know what that's great i think yeah you landed i made my own this, journey you land exactly and you landed on this killer song that i actually didn't know about before i met you so well i'm glad you do and I'm glad that this song can get a little bit of attention because I think that it's a really amazing tune mm. that flies a little bit under the radar. It opens with such a really cool, memorable little guitar riff where I think um, they've got sort of they've got a delay effect going on and some really nice bending happening. that it's a really interesting opener because it kind of gets you in the mood for a song that's like this is going to be fun this is going to be exciting we're going to take you for a little bit of a ride now you know what it is to me it's a great song for your mid set list it's one of those songs where it can really get you into a good groove and keep your audience interested and amp them up a little more yeah, I agree with you, Tom. And it has, even though it's not a fast song, it has a lot of energy just because of how kind of upbeat it is, especially with the lyrical themes. It's supposed to deliver the energy because it's the band talking about how exciting it is to be as a band playing in front of thousands of adoring fans. Mm. And conversely, how exciting it is to be a fan in the setting of rocking out as hard as you possibly can mm. because you're seeing one of the prime metal bands. You know what this kind of reminds me of, actually, the more I think about it? This is a good party song. I could definitely play this at any gathering I'm having. People would vibe to it. I feel like this is the kind of song that you would hear in a movie when the main characters are showing up to the party and then, like, it's it turns away to the shot of the house as the music kicks on. 
and they just walk in with a bunch of beer or some shit? I don't know. That's like what's coming to mind right now. Yeah, well, sounds like they're the heroes of the party if yeah. they're bringing beer. And those Delivering guys the goods. show up with those 30 racks or kegs that were desperately needed because the, they were running out. Because and those dudes who got there, yeah. they are... Ooh, delivering the goods. Yeah, and our other, <laughs> our other guy couldn't make it, man. He got busted by his mom. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, that's why we're podcasters and not movie directors, I guess. <laughs> Thank God. Say so, This is a lot less taxing. So you mentioned something interesting earlier. Hellbent for Leather is not what the album's called anywhere else but America. Yeah, and U.S. record companies... They couldn't really get behind the album name Killing Machine. Oh, gosh. You know, I I guess the U.S. in some ways is more socially conservative than a lot of other countries Mm. in Europe. So it is what it is. Hellbent for Leather is a great title for what it's worth. And because it's in America, that's the correct title, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Just like that one sport where you hit the ball with your foot. That's called soccer, not not football. (laughs) Yeah, real football is when you literally only use your foot once. (laughs) (laughs) America, why do we do these things? Uh, We're stubborn. Like you said, the album is Hellbent for Leather, mm. and I think that it that title gets reinforced by how popular of a track Hellbent for Leather is, Yeah, but Hellbent for Leather is such a popular track that maybe some of those other songs get a little bit lost, and you have people kind of forgetting about delivering the goods, even though I quite frankly, don't understand why this song isn't huge because I feel like it's the kind of song that a lot of people would like if they gave it a shot. Maybe it's the whole name recognition thing because you think of Hellbent for Leather as the album. All right, well, that's the song. And, you know, kind of unfortunately, some albums, there's only one song that people pay attention to and typically it's the single for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. It's the one that gets the most airplay on the radio. It's the one that gets marketed the most. And a lot of other songs get overlooked for really unfair reasons. Mm-hmm. And probably that's why, because Hellbent for Leather is so synonymous with Priest and with yes. their whole aesthetic. I'll be honest with you, I actually had not heard of any other song off of that album but Hellbent for Leather. That is interesting, and I think that's not so uncommon, because they don't play a ton of these songs live. Uh, they brought back a few of them for the Firepower Tour, mm. which I think is fantastic. Yeah. But in general, they probably could stand to play some more of this material because this album represents a time when they were sort of transitioning out of their progressive metal era of the 70s mm. and transitioning into uh, more groovy and hard rocking and a little bit more direct, simple sound. So give me a timeline here. What year did this album come out? Sure. So Hellbent for Weather, well, it was originally Killing Machine, came out October of 1978. Mm. And that is the fifth album, if you're not keeping count. 
Hmm. Uh, we talked about Invader off of Stained Class a few episodes ago. Stained Class also was 1978. Man, the band was busy that year. Productive. Yeah. And whereas Stained Class was more of a progressive metal epic masterpiece, Hellbent for Leather or Killing Machine, this album was, you know, pretty scaled back in terms of the complexity. It was very approachable for new fans because when it starts out with a song like Delivering the Goods, it's like, yeah, it's a really good song with an amazing groove to it, but it's not like some sort of seven-minute power epic that you need to devote your whole attention to. It's a song that is pretty immediate, I think. There's a chance that that's deliberate. I know this idea that I've always had that if you are experimenting with a new sound and you've got something that you really like, then maybe probably to capture your audience's attention and to show them where you're going, you kind of give them this nice package of Mm -hmm. easily digestible music that is more reminiscent of where you're going now as a band. We don't want to sound like a broken record, but Priest has evolved and Priest has changed. And this is an album where, in fact, I think it's one of the most distinct stylistic shifts Mm. from the album that came right before it. This is, you can absolutely hear the metal coming to life on this album. Absolutely. And Hellbent for Leather is a song that they've played probably every concert they've done since the album came out. Yeah, man. I mean, you hear Hellbent for Leather, it's like, oh yeah, man, that's Priest. You know, that's uh, that's one of their, the staples of their discography for a reason. Not just, This was probably around the time, too, when they had just started experimenting with the leather aesthetic as well. That's right, which, of course, contributed to the title. Mm. So, you know, great album, lots of good, easy-to-listen-to, approachable songs. Definitely worth uh, checking out and listening to in full if you haven't heard it. And this song, Delivering the Goods, is first up to bat, and I think it starts off the album Mm. on a really great way. Mm. Uh, Just such a hell of an opener, too. Yeah, man. So let me ask you a question. How did you feel the first time you heard this song? This was your first exposure to Priest or your first impressions? Hmm. Well, it definitely stood out right away. I mean, it had to, right? Mm. If it didn't, I probably would have picked up something else from that big box full of CDs and listened to that instead. But no, I think Judas Priest was one of the bands that I instantly took to because it sounded so different than what was popular growing up. You know, some of the biggest bands of when we were in our formative middle school, high school years, I'm thinking Blink-182, Lincoln Park, Slipknot, Mm. you know, of course, all very accomplished bands. Uh, At the time, that just wasn't what I was into. And Priest sounded so different from that. It's like, wow, these guys, they are really cool in their own way. Mm. I mean, Zeppelin took a while for me to start to understand what they were doing. Mm. David Bowie took me some time to get into, but Judas Priest was immediate. It just didn't sound like what I heard before. 
maybe the general public wouldn't consider Judas Priest cool in the year 2004, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I fuck think, that. I thought they were, <laughs> I thought they were cool. I mean, I think enough people find Priest cool, to be fair. Maybe no one that we went to school with, but yeah, you know. Maybe not as much in our age group. Yeah, but I understand. Yeah. These were real rock stars dressed in leather, mm. and they come from a more rebellious and more dangerous era. Yeah, and they drive motorcycles on stage and fire guns into the audience. Hell yeah! <laughs> it, it was heavier. It was harder than the popular music yeah. that we had growing up, and that's what mattered, mm. and I discovered it on my own. Sure, I had that box of CDs, but I didn't know what any of them sounded like. I had no idea. Hmm. It was my own prerogative to explore that music, to pick out Hellbent for Weather out of that stack and start listening to it. And it was one of the first CDs I tried mm. and one of the first ones that had a big impact on me. So, yeah, Delivering nope. the Goods, yeah. it does. It seems like kind of a innocuous song, but you never know mm. what song is going to click with you, and this one did. This was kind of like a, a chance meeting between you and Fate, if you think about it. You could have picked up any um, CD out of that record. You picked up this one, and this was the song you found. And because of that, it has a very special place in your heart, and we're here today talking about it. I think that's really beautiful. You are so right. Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Delivering the Goods, it hooked me right from the beginning mm. with that guitar intro line that just sort of teases you, mm, yeah. like you were saying. Mm. It's um, it, it definitely captures your attention right, right off the bat. And yes. they come in with some really hard riffage on this, too. Yeah, it's that, got such potent power behind it, as, mo as a good priest song does. Yeah, that passage gives you the feeling that it's leading into something bigger. And, of course, it does lead into something bigger. And then once the drum beat kicks in, then you know you're in for, like, a good head-banging, rocking-out session. God, I miss Les Binks, and I wish he stayed in the band longer. You know what I um, kind of am starting to realize as we, move, as we keep moving on with this podcast and doing more episodes is that... Priest really was made to be a live band. What I mean by that is they're the kind of band you can sing along, you shout out that chorus, Hell you yeah. can really bang your head hard to it. Like the live experience of this band is truly where they shine. Yeah. This song, I think, is a good example of that. You know, they played this on the Firepower tour. I don't remember if they played it when we saw them. I'm pretty sure they didn't, mm. but the Firepower tour, to me, it's really notable because of how much they rotated their set list. Yeah. And I might have mentioned this one other time. They played 44 different songs on the Firepower tour. 
compare that to someone like Iron Maiden, who's a fantastic band, don't get me wrong, yeah. but they play the same set list every single night. Dude, Exodus plays the same set list every single year they go on tour. <laughs> they the first, do. The first three times I saw them, I swear the set list was exactly the same. Right? Yeah. And it, that's not super uncommon. If no. you go see ACDC live, you can already predict at least what 10 or 15 of the songs are going to be. You saying that just made me want to kill myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but when Judas Priest tours, you don't know what they're going to play. How exciting. Yeah. Delivering the goods also. It sounds great live. It's the upbeat drums. Mm. It's Rob's ooh at the beginning. Yeah. It's a song that's easy to latch onto. There's, it is. There's a vibe there. It radiates mm. toughness and coolness. Yeah. It's, you know, we spoke um, in our last episode about a little bit about the blues and the influence it had. You can hear that in this song a little bit, I think. If yeah. not necessarily in the construction, then absolutely in the attitude. Yeah. You know, it's ballsy and in your face. And, that, and when heavy metal is at its finest, that's what it should be. Yeah, they do that just right. They nail that vibe, Tom. Mm-hmm. So the guitar solo is interesting to me because I think it kind of sounds like something KK would play because it's mm-hmm. furious with tons of notes. Play that shit. Yeah. And listen, I was just saying it sounds like something KK would play, oh, sorry. but it's actually Glenn. What? It is. I mean... Dude, I'm not going to lie. That's surprising to me. Sure. Hey, listeners, hear this now and you can make up your own minds. So I'm going to confess, I don't know everything. I know that shouldn't be a big shocker. But listen, I don't know who plays every single solo in the band. I kind of have to feel it out by ear or look it up and hope that I find out. But yeah, if I was just to guess, I would probably say that was a KK solo because KK plays a lot more of the chaotic and trying to fit in as many notes as he can. But And that's sort of what Delivering the Goods sounded like to me. Mm. But no, that's Glenn there. Do you know what I think is the, the the tell is on that solo is that Glenn is a much cleaner player. Yeah, I see that now that you're saying mm. it. You know, that's the thing. Listening to it again, I can I, picking up on that, I'm like, yeah, now I see it. But I'm not going to lie. The first time I listened to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that could definitely be Downing playing right now. Sure. Mm. And they do have pretty different styles, but it's kind of nice when they try to venture into each other's territory, Mm. break out of their comfort zone, because it shows their skill as players. Uh, Listen, I've said this before in the podcast, is that they have never been a... um, Never been a band that's been afraid to experiment, even if the experiment has not always been successful. In this instance, I would say that, yeah, he pulled it off spectacularly. Big time. That is a great solo. That's just got pure rock and roll energy going on in it. Hell yeah, Mm. dude. Hell yeah. And the song ends with a really dope drum solo, which gives Les Banks his chance to shine. Like I said, man, I wish he stayed in the band longer because he's such a beast. 
way better than Dave Holland. Mm. And I'm getting some sort of vibes of the outro from Zeppelin's Rock and Roll. You know the one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just hear this, guys. dude that guy's up there with the best of them like did you hear that fucking outro there's there are drummers who play today that aren't even that good <laughs> right <laughs> oh yeah e- easily easily the second best drummer that mm. priest has had behind scott travis yeah man if he had stayed with the band longer i def i wouldn't have been opposed to that you know dave holland could not play a lot of the stuff that they really wanted him to as they kept evolving as a band honestly yeah People have like spread this so much that it's very commonly accepted. Uh, the song Exciter had to be dropped from the set list because Dave Holland supposedly could not play it. God damn, what a fucking bummer. I there's know, nothing, right? There's nothing worse than as a band having one member that limits your potential as a group. I've experienced that before. It's a it's a bummer, man. Like it really is, honestly. It happens. Yeah. Not to take away from the great work that Dave Holland did do, but, you know, I I think that I for sure prefer what Wes Banks did beforehand, before Dave Holland, and what Scott Travis did afterwards. Correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Wes Banks supposed to play with K.K.'s Priest? That's true, and what I read is that he had some sort of injury and he wasn't able to perform like he wanted to. And they had the band had to go a different direction, mm. and you know, you know, it's a sad thing, but it happens. That is such a flex, though. <laughs> like, oh yeah, well, guess what? I'm bringing Les Binks back and Tim Owens. <laughs> like, yeah, that would have. I think that project would have had even more heat if they had actually gotten Les Binks on the album because mm. he's really good. He's a great drummer. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, I don't know. That to me is just one of those. It just kind of seems like a bit of a middle finger. Kind of. <laughs> well, Scott Travis has been in Priest for 32 years, yeah. so I don't think he feels very emasculated by that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's losing a lot of sleep over that one. <laughs> Sitting on his piles of money that he has from Judas Priest. <laughs> he's just like, he's yeah, dude, he's drying his tears with $100 bills. <laughs> oh, man.
So, yeah, we, we touched a little bit on this song sounding great live. And this is one of the songs that Priest played the most during the Killing Machine tour. Delivering the Goods was in the set list almost every night. They kept playing the song a little bit on the British Steel Tour in 1980, but soon they dropped it, and it wouldn't be played live again until 2018 on the Firepower Tour. Such a long hiatus for such a great song. Yeah, that's why the Firepower Tour was so awesome. They had such a varied set list with classics that hadn't been played in decades, just like the 50 Heavy Metal Years Tour was doing before they had to put it on hold. And, dude, when I hear about that immense decades-long gap that Delivering the Goods wasn't being played live, and I hear the song, it just kind of makes me think, like, why? Why did this song not connect the way that it should have? And why did the band not support it harder? I think it's so much fun. I have a great time listening to Delivering the Goods. We had that same discussion about One Shot at Glory um, a few episodes ago, where it's kind of perplexing that it wasn't in the set list for such a long time, despite being the great song that it is. Right. And I know you have a lot of great songs and you only have so much time to play, but you know, over 38 years that it wasn't played... They should have had it in the set list at least once in between 1980 and 2018, I think. Anyway, whatever the case, I'm glad it came back. Hmm. I'm glad we have that footage on YouTube and we'll stick a couple live clips in this episode Hmm. just for fun because we like to do that compare and contrast the live version. Hmm. And I think the song sounds just as great now as it ever did. I guess at the end of the day, we'll never know why exactly they never played it. I think it's kind of a moot issue almost because they're playing it now. And it sound, like you said, it sounds just as good as it ever has. And it's an exciting way to keep the set list fresh because they can play a completely different set list every single show for the rest of their lives. And we are privileged enough that we are actually alive and able to to see and hear this song as they play it live today, which I think is tremendous. I think so, too. And I think that is a great note to sum it all up. I think that sums it all up really well. So, get us on Twitter, at MetalGodsPod. Send us an email at MetalGodsPodcast at Gmail. Tell us about the first Priest song you ever heard. What did you think? Mm. We'd love to hear your stories. We'd love to hear your feedback about our show. So, Metal Maniacs, until next time, stay locked in. And keep defending the faith.